I'm going to read for us our scripture. Uh, it's out of the book of Mark. In this series of, of Soul Shift, as um, Seth had said, it's, it's eight weeks. In our growth groups, it's really going to come through the book of Philippians, but the sermons themselves is going to complement that, uh, tackling uh, the scriptures in the book of Mark. So I'm going to read for us uh, out of the book of Mark, chapter 8, beginning with verse 27. And I'm going to read to verse 33. Chapter 8 of Mark, starting with verse 27 to 33. It says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We live our lives as though we were on a subway. We move from appointment to appointment, from relationship to relationship, or from purchase to purchase, or conversation to conversation, project to project, and, and we seldom step back and say, wait a second, what is the thread that runs through them all? When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he restores my soul. He's talking about a place deep inside of you that is the fountainhead of everything else about you. That is the place where God wants you to love Him. But my friend, that is the place that God wants to change. That was... Steve Deneff, he's pastor of College Wesleyan Church in Marion, Indiana. He was actually the college pastor, the pastor of the church that our own Seth Wenger attended when he was at Indiana Wesleyan University. And so uh, Seth is very familiar with Steve. And, and so we've had a chance to, to lean in a little bit to this, this soul shift book that, that he has written along with David Drury and, and to um, begin to study, begin to use it in our growth groups, encourage you to sign up for those. And especially uh, this first week, encourage you, if you haven't done so already, you don't need to really jump into it, but the preface and the introduction because there's so much good stuff in the preface and introduction. In fact, in the preface of the book, he starts to tell about a story when he was a youngster feeling kind of um, intimidated, bullied maybe a little bit, that uh, one day he picked up a comic magazine, and on the back of it, he saw something that said, yes. And it was a picture of a... Of a um, class or a training, uh, physical training for Charles Atlas to work out and 
become muscular, become strong. And he got this picture of what I want to be. I don't, I'm tired of being scrawny. I'm trying to get kicked around, tired of getting kicked around. If I could have muscles like that, if I could just, if I could just be that strong man. And so he has that picture in his mind. And it's, he, he talks about how, how we need pictures of what things should be, of what we want to be, of who we want to be. We need to have that picture in our mind. And we probably all started that way. We probably all did that at some point in time. When you were a kid, you might have had a picture of, of, of an astronaut. I'd love to be an astronaut. But when we say we want to be an astronaut, at least in my mind, I get a picture of, of Neil Armstrong in that big outfit up on the moon, and that's, that's the picture I get. Maybe it's a, boy, I like, to, I like to be a fireman, and you get that picture of the, the, the fireman with the hose and the red outfit and everything. Well, I like to be a police officer, and you get that picture. I like to be a doctor, or whatever that might be. We get a picture in our head of what we want to be. We see it. We say, that's it. That's it. I love those pictures, and I've had many of those pictures in my life, and, and actually, if you go into my office, you probably, I think you've heard about this in the past, there are pictures in my office, and some of them are, are pictures of past, and some of them are pictures more of present, and I brought along one of the pictures that I think um, lets you know kind of what I had in mind for my future growing up. And that wasn't necessarily this picture, but it was pictures very similar to that. And uh, here it is. Anybody recognize that picture? Jim told me. Oh, would I like to be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> oh, man. I would just love to be that man, that person. I found out, though, if you really want to be a Hall of Fame baseball player, you got to get the dream before 35. That's a bad time to start. But I, I've always, you know, that thought of being that guy who steps up to the plate, the bottom of the ninth inning, game seven of the World Series, your team trailing, bent on base, and boom, running around the bases. The, the, the team's coming out before I'm even at second base. They're out around me and people are coming from the stands and they're lifting me up and carrying me around. Isn't that a great vision? Yes. And then I found out how much they made. <laughs> I said, that's even better. <laughs> you know, you know, we can do that. And, and we get that vision of what we want in our lives. I want to be this, I want to be this pro athlete or whatever it is I want to be. But it gives us a picture and as, as Steve points out in the book, that's, that, that's how we live our lives sometimes. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, what, what kind of picture do we have? Do we have any kind of picture of what we want to be as a Christian man or woman? Do, do we have an idea? We, we know certain things that go into our lives, such as Bible study and, and prayer. We've been told that. But what's, what does that look like as a finished product? And so the pictures in our lives a lot of times get replaced. And, and as much as I still appreciate and have enjoyed Jim Tomey playing and, and, and love that picture, there's a picture in my office that has kind of supplanted that as the person I want to be, the man I want to be, the Christian I want to be. And it's, it's this picture here, this picture is a picture of one of our pastors in Haiti with World Renewal. Gary Wright 
gave me this. We had a limited print run, and I didn't get some of the first ones, and he knew I loved it, and he got it for me. I look at this picture of this pastor in Genovese, Haiti, and I realize that he's never going to have the contract <laughs> that Jim Tomey has. He's never going to um, be a Hall of Famer. In fact, he would probably be shocked to know that his picture is hanging on the wall of a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio area. But when I look at this pastor, I say, there's something there. I see that I want to be. In fact, I don't know, it's, it's like when I look at him, I have x-ray vision, and it's like I can see his soul. And I says, I see a man with compassion. I see a man with passion. I see a man centered on Christ and God and prayer and Bible. I see a man in service. I see a gentleman, yet a leader. And I look at that and I says, that, that is the picture of what I want to be. It's so hard to get a, a picture of our soul because what really is our soul? In fact, many people have wondered what our soul is. One pastor, actually a, a professor and teacher, his name is Kaldun Swice. I was listening to him on, a, well, actually watching on a podcast, a video podcast this past week, and he was talking about what is the soul. And he had done a lot of study on this. It is something that had plagued him a little bit since he had watched his beloved uncle die, and then his, his son, young son, died in his arms. And he said, what, what is his soul? And he came up with a very simple explanation. He says, your soul is the immaterial, the immaterial part of you that makes you who you are. The immaterial part of you. It's immaterial because we know when we go to a funeral or to visitation, calling hours, and we look in that casket, and we, what do we say so many times? Well, they're not really here. They're not. Their body's here. All their body's here. But the, the, what makes them them is not there. It's gone. And so, and so there's this mystery about our soul. But yet, Steve Deneff asks, if you look at your soul, do you have a picture for what your, your soul is or what you want your soul to be? That can get pretty Pretty mysterious at times. In fact, one French philosopher, Ernst Renan, says this. He said, oh, Lord, if there is a soul or if there is a Lord, save my soul if I have a soul. He sounds real convinced, right? <laughs> he's, he's in this, I really, you know, I can't see it. I can't taste it. I can't touch it. I can't test it. I can't put it in a test tube. I can't take its temperature. What, you know, what is this thing, soul? So, Lord, if there is a Lord, save my soul if I have a soul. But yet the Bible all through those scriptures, talks about this, this thing in us, this thing that makes us who we are, and it's referred to as a, a soul. It starts right off in Deuteronomy, and even before, but in Deuteronomy, God says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Jesus even repeated that. In Psalm chapter 23, David said, he restores or refreshes my soul. 
Mary, when the angel came to her and said, you're going to be the, the mother of the Christ, she says, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. Jesus said to be careful about your soul. In fact, he says in Mark chapter 8, what good is it for someone if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? And he says, I care for your soul in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That, that part of you, that immaterial part of you that makes you who you are. Maybe if there's a failure of the church, and probably a lot of failures of the church because we're human, but is that we've strived so much, we concentrated so much, focused our energies on getting people saved that we've neglected to talk about your soul. What happens after you're saved? That part of you that makes you you. What is it that with that? How are we dealing with your soul? Someone comes up to you and say, how's your soul? What do you say? How's our soul? This is kind of the thought as we enter into this season of study. How's your soul? How's your soul? Pastor Eric mentioned we were going to be in Mark in some of the sermons. And it's interesting as you start off right in Mark. In chapter 1, you see Jesus right from the beginning starting to rally his team together. He's, 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 he's looking around and he's picking out some men that he thinks are going to make a good team, the disciples. And he starts calling them together. And, and he says there some things that we've heard and we know. In fact, it's in verse 15 of chapter 1 that he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And he says this. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Two verses later then, he follows that up with, Come and follow me, for I will make you fishers of men. And that is basically in those three verses, 15, 16, and 17, the gospel. He says, Repent, believe, come and follow. That's what it means. And sometimes, though, we get that repent and believe, and we think we've got it. You know, all right, we've made it, we're in, all that. But he says, no, 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 there's so much more. Follow me, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he talks about this great future they have. And, and so he goes and he tells this to disciples, and they gladly come and they follow Jesus. And then we come eight chapters later, Mark chapter 8 that we read this morning. Only eight chapters, but two years. It's two years later, okay? Two years of following Jesus every day. Getting up when he gets up. Eating breakfast with Jesus. Taking off and going where he's going. Having lunch whenever Jesus decides it's time to have lunch. Sitting down and hearing his teaching. Watching him in healing. Seeing him walk on water. Seeing him heal. Seeing him cast out demons. But you're there every day. Every day for two years. How about that? If you'd say every day for two years, that's 700 and some days. If you take how many Sundays that's are, that's 14 years worth of Sundays. It's like you've been in church for 14 years all day on Sunday, it's, it's, but it's crammed into two years. And so Jesus is with these men, and he's working on their soul. He's, he's, he's developing his, his team. He's coaching, and he's mentoring, and he comes to an occasion, and 
Mark chapter 8 that we read, it says that they were in the uh, villages around Caesarea Philippi. And they are there, and I think Jesus has seen this as a chance to do some coaching, some mentoring with his guys. And so he asked him a question. And I think Jesus knows what people are saying about him, but I think he wanted to hear what the disciples would say. And so he says, you know, hey, guys, what are people talking about? What are, they, what are they saying about me? In fact, he says, who do they say that I am? And in that passage we read, they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Um, hey, I've heard some say you're Elijah. And some said, I think some said you're a prophet. That's pretty good. And Jesus hits him with a follow-up question. The follow-up questions are the ones you got to watch out for, right? <laughs> He says the follow-up question. He goes, okay, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And the scripture said Peter popped right up. And he piped up as he always does. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. If we had read that out of Matthew and his version of this, where he goes on a little more, he says that Jesus told him, oh, blessed are you, Simon. I can imagine, you know, when, when, Simon, when Peter yells out that, you're the Christ, son of God, and Jesus says, blessed are you. You know, you know how on Family Feud, when everybody goes, good answer, good answer. <laughs> yeah, good answer. I, I guess, good answer, Peter, yeah, you know. And I can hear Jesus, blessed are you. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal it to you, but my Father. And then I can, I can see Jesus saying, in my mind, Peter, give me a high five. Yeah, high five. Give, give me a chest bump, you know, and you chest bump, you know, between Jesus and Peter there. They're celebrating. You got it. You got it. Seems like a great moment. It seems like Peter has, 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 has understood. But then Jesus goes on. And the rest of what Pastor Eric Red says, he started to tell them some other things. He said, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. And he says, I'm going to be rejected by your religious leaders. I'm going to be rejected in verse 31 by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. They're all going to reject me. He says, after that, I must be killed. And after three days, rise again. And Peter responded. It says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, can you see this? You've just, you've just made this great statement. Jesus just said, God revealed that to you. And now Jesus keeps talking, and maybe it's like, well, if God revealed it to me, I must be something special because I'm not liking what I'm hearing from Jesus. So uh, Jesus, he, says, he took him aside. Can you come over here a second? <laughs> come over here, come over here. And so he began to rebuke him. Now, understand, this is a fisherman rebuking the Son of God. Not much of a competition there, is it? Who's going to win this? In fact, we see in the next verse, and it's on the screen for you. It's a verse I want to just focus on the rest of the morning here. It says this, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. You see this man-on-man confrontation away from the rest of the disciples. 
Jesus now is rebuking Peter. And this rebuking is a strong word. In fact, the, the word used for rebuke here is the same word that is, told, is given when Jesus tells the sea to calm down. He rebukes the sea. He doesn't, and he, I, you, you can imagine Jesus didn't tell the sea, okay, be, be quiet, be quiet. No, he yeah, be still. It's the same word that Jesus, that's used when Jesus casts out demons and he rebukes the demons. It's the same word used when he casts out a disease and, and he heals somebody. And so he, he's face to face, in the face of Peter. And they're, and they're there and he says no and he's rebuking Peter. And then he says those famous words, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Just minutes ago, he said it was God who revealed this to you. Minutes later, he says, get behind me, Satan. And he says this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That have in mind, what Jesus is saying here, you don't have in mind the things of God. That, that word, Greek word, is phrenes, and, and, phrenes, and it really just means minded. You are not minded like God. You are minded like a human. You don't think like God. You think like a human. You don't have God's instincts. You have the instincts of a human. You're not oriented like God. You're oriented like a human. Which I guess begs the question, how can you spend 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, two years with Jesus and not think like him? How can you be with him and experience and listen and hear and not think like Jesus does? That sounds reasonable to me, but as I think of that, I think, and pointing the finger, we probably point three or four back at ourselves. How can we have walked with God so long? How can we have been to church 14 years every Sunday and never missing? How can I have been in growth groups? How could I have been doing all these activities and not have the mind of God and still have the mind of a human? He says, you don't think like me. You don't act like you. You don't think like me. You might try to act like me, but when it comes down to it, you don't have the mind that he has. You see, so many times we're concerned about WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, the real question is, how is Jesus wired? And how do I get wired to be like Jesus? How do I get wired so that I respond automatically in the way that he responds? How do I get oriented or bent towards him so that, so that what he's thinking is what I'm thinking? So that I become Christ-minded and not human-minded. How do I do that? Because life, a lot of what we do in life, we don't really think about. We just do it, right? I put on my shoes this morning. I had to tie my shoes. I don't even, I don't even remember doing it. But I did it. And that's kind of complicated. But I can do it. You know, I, I, I know I can do this. If I put my Bible down right now, and I, and I wanted to prove to you that I could take off my tie and tie it back and keep talking and never miss a beat, I could do it. 
because I did it in my office this morning practicing. <laughs> I, I grew up working in, in the CPA firm, in the national CPA firm for, from 1981 to whatever years, and, and we wore ties every day. I put ties on while I was driving and doing all other kind of things. I got, so I, could, I can do it naturally. When I got out, got up this morning and went to the car, I didn't have to think, now how do you run this thing again? Where does this key go? You know, how do I back up? How do I, how do I get this thing down? And, and how do I find the church? <laughs> it's natural. You can almost do it in your sleep. I'm afraid sometimes I've almost been asleep halfway driving. You know, it's so natural. But yet in our Christian lives, we say it doesn't come natural. It's hard. It's difficult. And it's because Christ would say we're not Christ-minded. I will never forget. You know, I can, I can forget what I had for breakfast yesterday. But I remember a conversation 30 to 40 years ago very well. Many of you, or some of you, might know Abraham Bible. Abraham Bible is a missionary that we support. We support him and his wife, Diane. They had worked years ago in the 70s and 80s before the fall of the Iron Curtain, before the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. They had gone in, and especially Abe had gone in behind and, and ministered to those that were behind that Iron Curtain. After that, they moved to Ukraine, and they've been working and serving Ukraine and into Russia now for de decades, it seems. But I've known, I've known Abe going back as, as far as I can remember because he married a girl from my home church. And so when they would come to Damascus, when they get on, on leave and, and, and sabbatical, they would come and they'd come back to Damascus and, and Abe would get involved in ministry and we'd call him in and we'd let him mentor us and, and do this because when a missionary comes home, they usually come home for a longer period. And it was so rich to, to sit under his teaching. One year, he was home in May. And so he went with us to the men and missions retreat, our EFCER men and missions retreat down in Ripley, West Virginia. And we went down that year, and we had a group of guys, and we just had, a, the Lord worked. The Lord was working in lives, and we were young, and he was, he was directing us and leading us and speaking to us. We had long nights out at the campfire, sharing and, and encouraging each other. We were headed back, and we were all packed into this van. At least a lot of us were. And Abe was in that van as we were coming back. And some of the guys were talking about what God had done in their lives, but they were talking about what they were going to face when they get back and how hard it is to live this Christian life. The difficulties it was, it was going to be and, 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 and how, how hard it was going to be to be this new person that God had asked them to be and how difficult and what they were looking for. And, and Abe, kind of right in the middle of it, just kind of says, guys, I'm not buying it. <laughs> and I... I, those weren't his exact words. I don't remember what the exact words were, but it was, the message was, I'm not buying it. And I do remember what he said next. He, he pointed out to somebody that we respected, somebody that we valued their Christian faith, and we looked at him and said, wow, we, we had them on a pedestal. His name, he was the general superintendent at the time of our, of our yearly meeting, the head guy. His name was Dr. Robert Hess. And he said this to us. He said, do you think Dr. Hess has to work at being holy? Start thinking about that. Let me say this. Do you think it's really, really hard for him to be humble? We said, no, I don't think it's hard for him to be humble. So do you think, it's, do you think he has to really practice and, and work at loving others? <laughs> so, no, nah, you know, I don't know everything about him, but I don't, think, I don't think he has to work hard at loving others. 
What about being honest and truthful? Do you think, do you think that's tough for him? He says, no. He, says, he was giving me a lesson 30 years ago that I was reading this week. It's not just doing what Christ's doing, it's having the mind of Christ. It's, it's being bent in a way where we naturally, as, as natural as tying our shoes and tying our tie, serving him is natural. It's what our first reaction is. Not because we're no longer human-minded, we are Christ-minded. We think like him. It's possible. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.16, 1 Corinthians 2.16, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have this mind of Christ. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And that Holy Spirit who lives in us gives us the mind of Christ. We no longer have our human minds, but we have a new mind. And it's the mind of Christ. And so over these next seven weeks, over these next seven weeks, our goal is to look more and more on how we in, in become uh, Christ-minded. Of, and, and, and as... Um, the authors looked at this book and they started studying the Gospels. They started looking at all of Jesus' teachings. And they saw that one of these soul shifts that we've been talking about is, is a foundation for nearly every teaching of Christ. That if we want to become like-minded or with Christ, if we, can, if we can understand and apply these seven steps or these seven shifts, that we'll... We start to take on the mind of Christ and it becomes natural. There's these seven right here. The, the first one is me to you. If, if, we can, if we can take on and you start looking at the teachings of Jesus and he starts, you understand where he says if, if you get your mind off yourself and start looking at others, if we focus our, our view from self-centeredness to other-centeredness, outward instead of inward, Slave to a child, if our view of Jesus and Christ, God changes to where he's no longer, um, we no longer have an obligation to him, but we worship him out of love. That changes, that's a shift. The change starts to change our mind. If seen to unseen, if we, start to, if we start to build our lives around eternal things rather than the temporary things that are built around us. Consumer to steward. If we go from ownership to generosity, I don't own this for what I can do with it for my pleasure. I own it to see how I can bless others. From ask to listen. Instead of asking people what God should telling me to do, I learn to listen to him and discern his voice. Sheep to shepherd. Instead of following pastor or anybody else, I learned to be one who's so invested in others and leading, maybe picking out one person in the room who you could help guide and direct in their walk with the Lord. And me to we from attending to belonging. Those are the shifts that we're going to be looking at over these next seven weeks. It's possible. It's possible to, to take on the mind of Christ and to move forward from our human perspectives. Paul says it again in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. It's possible. We can be wired like Jesus was wired. We can think like Jesus thought. But we can't do it sometimes where we are. We have to make some moves. This next week's about making moves 
making some moves to allow Christ, the Holy Spirit, to come in and to change who we are, to be like Christ, to be Christ-minded, to have the mind of Christ in you and in me. That Philippian scripture goes on, verse 6. It says this. Well, this is the mind of Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. The mind of Christ is not a proud mind. The mind of Christ is not a me first mind. The mind of Christ is not a mine mind. The mind of Christ is his mind of being in the form of God. Came and gave his life for us. We celebrate that. Jesus Christ came so that we could have the same mind of his, but he had to offer himself fully, 100%, so that we could do that. This morning, we're going to ask those that are serving our communion to come up at this time. We're going to close with just a time of the Lord's Supper and communion. They're going to come and they're going to pass out the bread first. I'd ask that you hold the bread. Then they're going to come and get the cups and the juice and pass that out. As they're passing out these elements this morning, I think it would be good to take a little bit of self-inspection. Let me ask you something. If you're saying this sounds a little intimidating, I don't know if I can handle seven big shifts in my life. Let's make a deal. <laughs> How about three? What, what, if, what if you pick three of these shifts and, and you study them and you apply them in your life, how might that change your life? If you became less self-centered, if you became more generous, if you thought more of eternal, those three, then we'll get greedy and say, okay, let's add a four and a five and a six and a seven. How might that change our church if we all said, I'm going to take whatever shifts I can and I'm going I'm to invest in them. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to get involved in my growth group. I'm going I'm to study. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me make these shifts in my life. What shifts do you need to make? Which of these seven shifts speak to you today? Think about that as we sing and as they continue to pass out the elements. Hold them, and then we'll come up and take them all together. You sing this with us. Grace that flows like a river washing over me. Fount of heaven love. 
Christ my Savior He rescued me Sing it again Thank you Jesus He set me free Christ my Savior Think on that for a In those words from Philippians 2.5 said this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. It's possible. Paul wouldn't ask us to do something that we couldn't do. He also warns us when he says this, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Would you take your bread? And the scripture says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Scripture tells us then that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember that death. But as you leave today, I also want you to remember the victory that followed that death. That new song we sang today, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. That's what this new life is all about, being resurrected, having the mind of Christ following him. Would you stand together with me? In benediction, the next verse, Philippians chapter 2, is verse 9, it says this, Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, go with us today. Bless us, fill us, use us, and Lord, shift us where you need us to go. Make us more like you. Give us your heart, your mind. Allow us today to be fully, 100% surrendered to you and open to your spirit. And we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed. Go in the Lord's grace.